Welcome to Life Talks with Stephen and Pam. Well, hello, everybody. I'm so excited that you're with us, listening to some Life Talks, going through Proverbs together. Oh, I'm going to enjoy this today. We're hearing stories where people are sitting down with their spouse early in the morning. Mornings are great. Going through a chapter a day, sometimes in the morning, sometimes at the night. People that are homeschooling their kids, friends are using this to actually be a class in their homeschool, going through a Proverbs every day. There's different people from different walks of life on their way to school, on their way to college. So uh, we're excited that we're hearing great reports and and reports. We're really (laughs) And great reports and <laughs> great reports as great. well. That's, so, that's anyway. kind of the, the Welsh Scottish right. reports. <laughs> we do know that God came to give us life and abundant life. And that's why I like Life Talks because it's the abundant life that God wants to unfold for yeah, us. Yeah. And I just want to encourage you too to let some of your friends and family know people that need encouragement, that need their heart lifted up and yes. need to have some outside help just to turn the sunshine on in their heart and their life. And so, you know, encourage them to enjoy these life talks with Stephen and Pam, right? Yep. Let's do it. So we're getting into Proverbs 11. And, you know, we never read the Word of God without the precious presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, Pam, Psalm 16 says this, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. 100% joy. It's not 90% joy. Man. But 100% saturation. Psalm 16, verse 11, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Mm Mm-hmm. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that's why we invite the precious presence of the Holy Spirit to be with us, because the presence of God gives us understanding and unfolds this word for us and helps intentionally get the seed of this word right into our heart. Because we know Jesus told the parable of the sower of the seed, and it says some seed fell on the wayside, some fell among the thorns, some fell on stony, hard ground. Right. It was all good seed, but none of it really produced. It didn't come to fruition. But when the good seed falls into the good ground and the Holy Spirit is an expert on getting the seed of God's word into good ground and our heart is that ground. Right. That's so good. I know this from my own life, my own experience. I've had stones of offense in my heart in places and the good seed of God's word could not convert my heart because I wouldn't let go of that rocky ground. I wouldn't let go of that stony ground. And so then, you know, you pull a Psalm 139 where the psalmist said, Holy Spirit, search me. See if there's any wicked way in me, anything wrong, any stony ground, any hardness of heart, any bitterness, and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's why Jesus said, guys, it's so profitable for you that I leave, because when I leave, I'll send you the comforter. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our advocate, our standby. He helps us get spiritual things done that otherwise are impossible. So let's start with prayer and inviting the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we've been just talking about you and bragging on you, and we just invite you. We never want want to take for granted the privilege we have of access to your presence. So right now, with even our dear friends listening, just flood that area where they may be even out on a run somewhere. But right now, just surround them with your presence. Yes, Lord. Encompass them with the very favor of God. Fill that car, fill that home with your precious presence, Holy Spirit. 
And then we just ask as we read the Word of God, as we read Proverbs 11 today, that you would breathe this Word into our hearts. Get the seed into the very good soil of our hearts and may it produce. Watch over that seed, cause it to produce and bring forth much fruit unto eternal life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Proverbs 11, why don't you get us going, Penny? A false balance and unrighteous dealings are extremely offensive and shamefully sinful to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Now, it's so funny. I remember when I was about 13 years old, I was reading this and I was like, Mom, I don't understand. Does that mean that there's a certain weight that I'm supposed to be as a person? I didn't understand it. But then you explained what back in those days, how that they even bought things. Will you explain that? Well, you know, back then, you know, merchants would bring out like a little scale and that's how they would weigh out weights that would weigh out, let's say, an amount of gold or an amount of silver, an amount of bronze. In fact, back then they would trade even with salt. Salt was so valuable because a lot of times it was how they preserved their food, preserved meat, um, dealt with sickness, infirmities. Salt was good for dealing with bacteria and things like that. That salt was so valuable that sometimes in some places, depending on what the food conditions were like in those days, salt could be weighed out measure for measure with gold. That's Mm -hmm. how valuable Mm -hmm. salt was. But anyway, they would have these scales. And so they might agree on, hey, this much silver, we'll trade all this cloth for this much silver. So they'd pull the scales out. The merchant would have weights to measure how much silver it was. Well, God's saying false balance and unrighteous dealings are extremely offensive and shamefully sinful to the Lord. And God's saying, you know, don't... So people are trying to cheat the other person. Yeah, they they were known Mm -hmm. to like sometimes shave a weight Mm -hmm. that was supposed to be like an ounce. They would shave that ounce or, you know, they would add to it so that, you know, somebody would have to weigh out more silver or more gold. Mm -hmm. And then when they were actually buying, they would do the opposite. Right. So, uh, you know, it's like in life. So it's cheating someone else. Right. You know, and we're supposed to, as God's children, because we have confidence in God as our provider, we're never supposed to cheat people. You know, I know people that they think they've done well if they go into a restaurant or a cafe and somebody mistakenly gives them too much change. It's like somehow that's the favor and the blessing of God. What? No, that's not. If the girl or the guy, the barista where you're getting your coffee gives you a dollar too much, don't steal. That's stealing. God has an account of all of that. You can't you, go running back going, favor of the Lord, favor of the yeah, Lord. Right, right. Don't. You know, if you see somebody drop a 20 and they don't know about it and that it just lays there and you say nothing and then as they've gone out of the bookstore, you kind of lean over and you pick up the 20 and go, praise God, I was praying for, for an extra the, 20. Yeah. No. That's not a gift from God. No. That is right now, you're basically sinning against chapter 11.1. I remember we went to this one coffee shop quite a bit for meetings and stuff you would have there. And there was this one girl that we really just wanted to be kind to her and really wanted to develop a relationship every time we came to really show her Jesus because we were claiming her for Jesus. Well, one time she gave you the $5 too much. Right. And you didn't realize till you go back to the table, but the line was so long. So you waited till the line emptied and you went back very quietly because she could have got in trouble by giving you too much. And you gently just, you know, pushed the $5 and said, I think you gave me too much. And she had this look like, oh, she goes, thank you 
so much. She mouthed thank you. Well, it really a- impacted after her. that, it impacted her. She was like glued to us. She'd come over the table and talk. We got to give her one of your books. She was so impacted. And we got an opportunity to really show the goodness of God. And I believe that she's going to come to Jesus if she hasn't already. But it was a real opportunity that she saw the goodness of God in us and actually wanted to turn and think differently because of the goodness of God that she saw in us of you doing the right thing. Talking about that same thing of false balance and unrighteous dealings, I remember hearing a story. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine, told me of a couple of guys that worked in a corporation in a company. And, you know, they wanted newer equipment with what they were working with. And the boss just felt like the equipment they had was still good enough. It was working good. He made a decision as an executive. He didn't want to upgrade at that point for whatever reason. And his reasons might not even been right. It might have been short-sighted. Maybe these subordinates were giving him good advice saying, hey, boss, we need to upgrade. Well, because the boss wouldn't upgrade when he wasn't looking behind the boss's back, these guys intentionally sabotaged the equipment, broke it so that they would have to buy new equipment and upgrade anyway. In their mind, they're thinking, well, the end justifies the mean yeah. because we're actually helping our boss because we really need this newer equipment. No, no. Listen, when you're doing stuff like that, you're sinning against God's law. That's actually working a false balance right. and unrighteous dealings. Verse 2, when swelling and pride come, then emptiness and shame come also. If you want your bicep to get bigger, like within the next five minutes, you could make your bicep bigger just by damaging the tissue and bruising it so bad that it begins to swell. Mm, but you know, right. you haven't got stronger. Mm, that's right. The truth is you've probably compromised the strength of yeah, that bicep. Yeah. But if you really want the bicep to get stronger, you have to submit it to just the process of gaining strength, which is exercise. And you're going to have to sow the seed of exercise and then allow time to take place and get a harvest of additional strength. But here we're talking about when swelling and pride come. See, swelling comes when you do damage. Yeah, that's good. Swelling and pride come, then emptiness and shame come also. But with the humble, those who are lowly, who have been pruned or chiseled by trial and renounced self are skillful and godly wisdom and soundness. You know, I think still we have to read this with the tone of God. Some people could take this and say, you know, God brings sickness and disease, renounce everything that's important to you. What this really means again is sometimes like we've been realizing challenges and trials and people and things in life that come up. It's a great opportunity for, like we've been saying, the dross to come to the surface. Then we can take it to the cross, be healed, get more grace in our heart. Then another challenge comes, the dross comes up, we're able to take it to the cross, renounce anything that's not of God's way of thinking and doing things, and pick up His resurrection life, His goodness. And I think that's what it means. We should say this with a smile on our face instead of, I remember we were at this one church and you were preaching and... It was in, I think, Georgia, and a big church, and you were preaching on God's will for the lives, you know, His way, His kingdom come, His will be done, what God had for them, the life He had, freedom in Christ, and joy in Christ, and the whole audience, honestly, it was was funny if the audience from the back could have been videotaped, because it's like 
they were grabbing, are you serious? God feels this way about me? And their shoulders literally started going back. The men and women and the young people, it's like their heads started going up. You could see this look like they'd never heard. And so after we got done, the pastor was receiving an offering for our ministry. And again, a great big church. He got up. Yep. But you know, this is true, but you got to die. You got to die. And you could see all his tone, the way he said it. It was just all the shoulders started going back down again. Like, oh, it was almost too good to be true. All the folks came back down under the yoke of yes. legalism and yeah. and religiosity. Well, you know, what are you a, dying to? You're dying to. Here's the thing yeah. about this, Pam, is that, you know, it says, humble yourself with the humble. That means those who are submitted to truth. It says, who have been pruned or chiseled. Well, at first, that sounds really ugly, pruned and chiseled, but we started this whole thing out by praying and talking about having stony ground in your heart. Right. Well, like I said, I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit put his finger on the stones Amen. and the rocks and the obstructions in my heart and said, hey, Stephen, right there, there's some bitterness or there's some unforgiveness. Right. You got to see God wants to cut out of your life surgically everything that doesn't work. You know, God wants to cut out of your life everything that could lead to disease and sickness. God wants to cut out of your life everything that would steal your finances, that would ruin your marriage. God wants to cut out of your life everything that would distract you from true destiny. Mm -hmm. You know, God wants to cut out of your life every subversive way to enjoy His joy and gladness and pleasures forevermore that would be a substitute for that. Because you see, if you've got like... There's nothing wrong with prosperity, but if you've got a love for money in your heart and you're thinking, well, if I had money, then I'd be happy. God wants to cut that wrong belief mm-hmm. out of your heart, get that affection for currency out of your heart so that you can have an affection for Him, so yes. that you can love yeah. Him, and then you can experience His everlasting joy and His gladness and not always be believing that you'll only be happy, you'll only have gladness when you get the money. You see, You've got a wrong belief in your heart, and so he wants to cut that out so that you'll believe the truth. And that's what humble is. With the humble, those who are submitted to the truth and chiseled and pruned, that means cut out the junk. Then it says, we renounce self and we get skillful, godly wisdom and soundness. And then verse 3 happens. Right before we go to verse 3, I think of the scripture that you quote so much, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us. First Peter 5. It's always that to exalt us into his soundness and his goodness. 3. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the willful contrariness and crookedness of the treacherous shall destroy them. Well, that says it all right there, right? Verse 4. Riches provide no security in any day of wrath. So like I said, why love riches when you can love God the protector, the provider, mm, that's right. God the savior, God Jehovah, our peace who destroys the authority of chaos and gives us nothing lacking, nothing missing, nothing broken. Riches provide no security in any day of wrath and judgment, but righteousness, rightness, which is uprightness and right standing with God, delivers from death. I would like to say it like this, rightness with God delivers even from death. Wow, that's encouraging. Five, the righteousness of the blameless shall rectify and make plain their way and keep it straight, but the wicked shall fall by their own wickedness. Pam, have you ever been in a situation where you just, you feel like you just go, 
I just don't know what to do. Have you ever yeah. asked that question? Like, yeah. Oh, which, which way yeah. do we go? Yeah. You feel like you're maybe like Moses caught between Pharaoh's army yeah. and a full Red Sea. Right. Like, and you're what like, do I do? What, what do we do? Yeah. We're caught between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. Like, yeah. I'm not sure. What, like, what do we do with our marriage? What do we do with our kids? Which school should I go to? Mom, like, I've got three options. What do I do about financing? What do I do about this? Should I be dating this guy? Should I be dating this girl? Well, listen to this. The righteousness of the blameless shall rectify, which is to bring into alignment and make right and make plain their way. And think about this. We get as a gift the righteousness of Jesus. Oh, yeah. That's why anytime I'm standing in the middle of a rock and a hard place, I just close my eyes and I say, but I've got the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And because I've got the gift of his righteousness, I can boldly, judiciously declare that I've got my way made plain. In the name of Jesus, way, Jesus is the way for Stephen. Jesus is the truth, the life. He's the light. He's the way. In the name of Jesus, I know which way to go. Maybe my intellect hasn't received the full download of it, but in my heart, I've got the king of all kings living in me. Mm-hmm. I've got judiciously the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. So therefore, my way is made plain. In the name of Jesus, I declare that things are made right. The light of God is shining on my steps, and I know which way to go. Now, when I pray like that, and I just keep staying the course that way, suddenly I know which next step to take. All of a sudden, it starts dawning on me. I know another step to take. And I just take step after step. Thank God for direction. Verse 6, The righteousness of the upright, their rectitude in every area and relation, shall deliver them. See, again, we're back to the righteousness of the upright. And you might be saying right now, Stephen, I'm feeling kind of condemned, man, because, man, I've made some mistakes in the past and I've spoken some words that are anything but righteous. But my friend, Jesus Mm -hmm. is perfect. That's right. He's holy. Jesus is our righteousness. That's why Romans 5.17 says, through the gift of his righteousness. Oh, yeah. We get to reign as kings in life by Jesus Christ. So just focus on his rightness and celebrate it. The righteousness of the upright, their rectitude in every area and relation shall deliver them. But the treacherous shall be taken in their own iniquity and greedy desires. See, if you focus on your own greedy desires, if you focus on your own failures, you're just going to fall deeper and deeper into the hole. You got to focus on Jesus' righteousness. And you know what's helped me to understand is growing up, you know, we hear and we read the righteousness of God and we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But when I really started looking up and understanding what the word means, I kind of put it in my mind like this. Whenever I see righteousness, I always say the rightness of God. So the rightness of God in Christ Jesus comes to us, and then there's always a right and a wrong. There's never a middle ground. So with God's rightness coming on us and clothing us, it kind of helps me understand. Verse 7, when the wicked dies, his hope for the future perishes, and the expectation of the godless comes to nothing. Oh, read that again, Pam. That's so good. Oh, dear. It's kind of sad. When the wicked man dies, his hope for the future perishes, and the expectation of the godless comes to nothing. Well, you know. (laughs) It's like you said, oh, that's really good. I was like, sad. (laughs) 
<laughs> For a brief second, I was trying to... <laughs> I was trying to fake it, you know, like, yeah. like I remember when I was a boy, I was singing in a, a Baptist church and this older gentleman had his favorite seat in the front and we were playing. And so, and he had a habit, I guess they told us later of sleeping through services. And oh, so okay. we were sitting there in the front row right beside him. I guess he was sleeping away. The pastor was giving some statistics and he said something like, do you realize that every second so many people die and go to hell? And that was right in the moment when he woke up and he was like, glory, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of what I just did there. So you were looking at another scripture. I was looking at another scripture okay. that was really good. And so I was kind of faking it. <laughs> And I totally got caught. All right. You're on aid now. <laughs> Let's move along. Yes. Verse 8. The uncompromisingly righteous is delivered out of trouble. Now that's what's good. That's good. That's I really agree. exciting. The uncompromisingly righteous is delivered out of trouble. Well, Stephen, Pam, I, I don't think I'm such an uncompromisingly righteous person, but Jesus is. You know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, in me, he says, you'll have life. He said, in the world, you're going to have trials, tribulation. It's going to be terrible. But in me, you're going to have life. Kind of like when we're flying in a jet airplane and you go through the rain, through storms. I mean, you know outside the plane at like 35, 40,000 feet, it's freezing cold. But in the plane, there you are sitting there drinking your orange juice and right. you know snacking on your little crackers or whatever, that kind of thing. The uncompromisingly righteous is delivered out of trouble and the wicked gets into it instead. Well, wow. Because you know why? That's the law of reciprocity. I've often said that a lot of times you see people, especially in the news and on TV, people in politics trying to, and it's not even so covert, it's just obvious they're trying to set traps for other people. Oh, that's such bad seed. And you know, the Bible talks about this and it says, when you roll a stone like that trying to hurt other people, that it'll end up rolling, rolling back, on, back you. on you. When you dig a pit to try to trap other people and try to hurt them, then you yourself end up falling into the pit. And here's what happens. The uncompromisingly righteous is delivered out of trouble and the wicked ends up getting into it instead. That's so good. Nine, with his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge and superior discernment shall the righteous be delivered. Through knowledge and superior discernment. Where do we get that knowledge and that superior discernment? The Word of God. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a lot of different giftings that we exalt a lot. That person has, you know, the gift of prophecy, that very prophetic, that person has this and that and this talent and gifting. And I think sometimes we exalt certain giftings. I feel like discernment, I think that comes from us posturing ourselves to listen. The Holy Spirit's always talking, but just sometimes we're just so loud and so busy and so driven. I think that we put the gift of discernment, even the Holy Spirit speaking to our spirit gently, don't go there. 
Don't go down that road. Go down this road now. Don't do that. Do this. Sometimes we can't even hear the voice of the Lord. Something's wrong with that situation. That person isn't who they say they're going to be. You don't judge them. You don't be mean to them. But if there's a discerning going off, go and pray about it. Go search what God is saying and how that affects how you pray for them, what kind of relationships you get in with that person. Discernment. And I think sometimes discernment, I've I've heard somebody say, well, you know, people in the ministry and past they shouldn't really have the spirit of discernment because it would be too hard for them. And I almost like looked at them and every child of God needs to have discernment because that keeps us from harm. That keeps us from going to wrong places. So I think sometimes the gift of discernment we need to cultivate more. And it's a partnership of knowledge and superior discernment, it said. Right. So, like, so like, you know, yeah. you may have the discernment, but then you still need to know, what do I do with that supernatural information? What do I do with yes, that revelation? You may have a revelation, but you also need to have the wisdom and the knowledge to know, what do I do with this revelation? Maybe you don't right? say anything. Maybe you pray about it. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, and what you just read out in the beginning there, verse 9, it says, with his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. I mean, you might say, how does he do that? Well, accusations, you see, right. the enemy, Lying accusations. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, the word says. He's the accuser of the brethren. So anytime our mouths line up with the enemy, you'll find sneaking out of your lips accusations. You begin accusing. And that's why, you know, even in marriages and in family, you never accuse one another. You may say, what you did made me feel this way, but you can't say, you did this because you're this. That's right. You always treat me this way. You know, you just don't like me. That's an accusation. Yes, right. That's right. You know, you don't love me, Frank. Frank probably deeply loves her, but you can't say, Frank, you don't love me. You say, when you do this, Frank... You make me feel like you don't love me. You know, that really brings understanding. You're going to stop picking on Frank. All right, let's leave Frank alone. Here we go. Verse 10. When it goes well with the uncompromisingly righteous, the city rejoices. I love that. Oh, me too. God really put that in my heart, you know, for our ministry, because I really believe that those of you listening to these life talks right now, those of you who are listening to the word of God, getting wisdom, pursuing understanding, it says when it goes well with you my friend, that the city rejoices. Your neighborhood, your neighbors, your neighborhood, your county that you live in, it should rejoice. It should be blessed because you're blessed, because you become a conduit of that blessing. But then it goes on, it says, but when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Because you know why? People who have dedicated themselves to wickedness and to destroying um, others, yeah. destruction and hurt and accusation, they end up hurting other people. They end up hurting their community. They end up damaging even the economy of their city. You know, Pam, I was thinking of a lot of people like Fixer Up or um, Chip, and Joanna, Chip Gaines. and Joanna Gaines. Waco, Texas wasn't doing all that great when their show launched, but since they've started and launched that whole Fixer Upper franchise, the tax base of the whole city has gone up. The popularity of Waco has gone up. It's kind Talk of, in a way, redefined culture. even yeah. the name Waco. Yes, it like has. it's add more equity to the name value of Waco, Texas, just because of the association with them. And so they're good people and they've brought a morality, a family value base. And, you know, even property values have gone up in Waco a lot because of them and probably their partnership with a lot of other good people behind the scenes. And but the city's rejoicing. The city's rejoicing. Yeah. Because of them. 
And because, you know, they openly say that they believed on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they now can say, you know, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, so they can affect a city. You know, God has given us a mandate to reach a thousand cities, well, more than cities, but a thousand spheres of influence across the globe. A thousand people in a thousand mm-hmm. communities. And, you know, that's and you. We, we I, believe I really that believe the with city all my rejoice. heart, you who are listening, that's you as God's word gets in your heart. You become such an influencer in your town, in your city. Maybe you're even out in a rural area, but you can be such an influencer for Jesus Christ and for the truth and for goodness and for life and such a conduit of blessing that it literally brings up the property values in your area. I believe that's the will of God. Oh, absolutely. Verse 11. By the blessing of the influence of the upright in God's favor. Here we go again. By the blessing of the influence of the upright and God's favor, because of them, the city is exalted, (laughs) but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. You know, just recently, a huge corporation was going to go into a big city and they were going to bring tens of thousands of jobs. They were going to, it was going to be such a boost to the economy and to the tax base and all kinds of good things were going to happen. And there was a just all around an economical boost. This big corporation was going to come in, but because people began speaking foolishly, because people began ranting and raving and really speaking wickedness, then that company said, you know what? We're not going to make that investment. We're going to go somewhere else. And so, Pam, that took away billions upon billions of dollars from that city's future. And you know why that kind of stuff happens? It's because of the mouth of the ungodly who are basically speaking accusations, speaking things that aren't based on truth, but based politically on convenience for them and for their platform. This happens all the time, but you and I, all of us together as the family of God, we're called to bring the blessing of influence to cities. And just like what you read, I love that, by the blessing and the influence of the upright, God in us and God's favor in us, the city, the town, the countryside can be exalted and blessed. Verse 12, he who belittles and despises his neighbor lacks sense. Man, but a man of understanding (laughs) keeps silent. 13. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy and faithful, I'm going to add, and loyal, in spirit keeps the matter hidden. If there's one thing that I've really, really tried to do, and you're amazing at this, honey, is if somebody shares something with us, unless they've given us permission to unfold it, we like take that to the rapture. We <laughs> You know, we'll take that until we go to heaven. Well, you know, as a pastor, I've had people confide in me. I've had guys share things with me, like in confidence, wanting me to pray with them about something, but knowing that it was personal. It was really something between them and God. And you know, I don't share those things with you because I'm thinking this person's asked me to keep it in confidence. Mm And I want to be trustworthy and I want to know like that these guys know that they can trust me, but more than that, that I can represent my father and be trustworthy. I know you love and care about these people, but I'm thinking they said this in confidence and this is a personal matter of theirs. Unless they want you to know, if they want you to know, they can tell you. 
Yeah. And, I, and I just think that's mm-hmm. that's being wise. That's representing the confidence and the faithfulness of the Father. And I think it's also a way to look at ourselves. We wouldn't want someone to do that to us. So as we're someone revealing a secret or we give a secret to somebody, it's very easy for people to raise an eyebrow and not really say the secret, but really unfold the secret to somebody behind your back. And I think it's important. Sometimes I think in religious circles, we can easily walk the line on this. Well, I didn't say anything. Yeah, you didn't stick up for that person. You were not trustworthy. You were not faithful. And you actually revealed a secret that didn't need to be revealed just because you wanted convenience and you wanted to look good. If you're not trustworthy and you're sowing untrustworthiness and unfaithfulness in friendships and relationships, that's what you will reap back. So I don't think that that's something we want to reap back. Verse 14, where no wise guidance is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Since I've been a boy, the scriptures come up in my mind many times. And you know, and I've proven it on the wrong side. There's been times in my life where I've had no wise guidance. And I've proven that, yeah, I fall. I make bad mistakes. I make bad financial mistakes. I make bad relational mistakes. When there's no wise guidance, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, this is why discernment's so good. You need to get Every one of you need to have good, trustworthy counselors in your life. People who won't just, you know, we've talked about this before. It's There's a proverb that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It says, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. You need to be able to have counselors in your life that aren't going to just tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to yeah, hear. That's true. And that's really important. And you know, I think in the multitude of counselors, I used to also take this like, I would just ask anybody, you know, I would maybe ask a person that's a plumber something about recording and he wasn't, you know, or so I'd ask him questions that he might be a great guy and I would want to ask his counsel in a plumbing situation, but not in this particular situation. Sometimes I think we just go up and ask anybody. I think we have to be discerning. If I'm going to ask, if you want to have answers for some marriage situations, then go to someone that actually has a good marriage or they're wise in that if you want right, to have a counselor broke, in if you're broke yeah. and you need advice and finances like don't be talking to the guy who lives in the apartment across you who's probably as broke or more broke than you you know you need to because you see a lot of times we gravitate toward what's comfortable let's go back to frank again <laughs> i'm going to go talk to frank about finances because he kind of agrees with me yeah that's stupid why would you do that you know it's like well, wait a sec you need to talk to somebody that doesn't necessarily necessarily agree with you, but who is skilled and has got God-proven principles in their life in that area of success. Don't get marriage advice from somebody that's maybe been married and divorced seven times. That's probably not the best place to go get counsel on marriage, but get marriage counsel from somebody who has a phenomenal marriage and it's way better than yours. But I think you made a good statement a few minutes ago, because I know even in my life, I'm sure there's times that I've done that we gravitate to what is comfortable. And comfortable is not peace. We have to follow peace, but comfortable, sometimes you have to push yourself. Sometimes it's hard to reach out to that person that you think, oh, but they have answers. You just put your shoulders back, reach out and ask them, I would like your advice on this. And could we have a coffee? And That's really good, Pam, because it expresses true humility when you're just willing to ask. Let's go on now to Proverbs 15. He who becomes security for an outsider shall smart for it, but he who hates suretyship is secure from its penalties. 
What is suretyship? <laughs> suretyship, not a word we use every day now. No. It's basically talking about the concept of co-signing, of entering into an agreement, especially with an unknown person or unequally yoked partnership. See, then you become liable for another person's decisions. The Word of God frowns on this type of setup because it's really a trap meant for your destruction. God's always trying to direct, and there's a better way. That's the world's way of doing things. God has a better way, and that's the way we're supposed to see things, too, is God's way. Verse 16, a gracious and good woman wins honor for her husband, and violent men win riches. But a woman who hates righteousness is a throne of dishonor for him. Now, this one, I know it doesn't mean violence or angry. I know it means something else when it says a violent man win riches, because it also says in the word that don't even hang out with a consistently angry man, lest you become like him. So what does this a violent man win riches? What does that, what does that mean exactly? Okay. So what that's really talking about in this situation here, we just read a gracious and a good woman wins honor, honor. for her husband. And so, honor in life. you know, a gracious and a good woman, there's a partnership that happens in a marriage and a gracious, good woman the Bible talks, and we're going to read it in Proverbs 31. I love Proverbs 31, just a beautiful chapter talking about a good man and a good woman. But a good woman can win respect for her husband. She can win, add to his honor. It even talks about, we're going to read in Proverbs 31, that he's even more well-known in the gates of the city, like the places of commerce and the places of financial decision and judgment. He gets honor because of his relationship with her. Now, when it's talking about this violent man, it's really talking about other translations say a ruthless man, ruthless in business. He's just, you know, hardcore, kind of even willing to be dishonest no matter what it takes to get the deal. Got it, right. I it says see now. All he basically gets is just is just money. Is money. Currency He's ruthless. He money. gets money. Uh-huh. Remember the story about Abigail in the Bible? She was the wife of Nabal. Now remember, she ended up becoming King David's wife, one of his wives. But remember, Abigail first was married to Nabal. David was going to Nabal to get some help because he was quite wealthy. Right. He was a ruthless man. He's like the evil land baron. And so he was having a party and celebrating one of his big business deals, probably a big harvest. And he got drunk, got loaded that night, full of joy, it says. But all he had was from his ruthlessness was money. And then the Bible says the next morning, Abigail basically tells him, you know, like you did a really stupid thing. Like you turned away one of the greatest kings to be who's up and coming. And by the way, he was coming here to basically take vengeance on you and kill you because you were such an idiot to him. Well, he literally has a stroke. Oh my. Has a heart attack, something like that. He kind of goes into like a coma and then, you know, dies in the next several hours. But I think of him when I read this. A gracious and a good woman wins honor. That was like Abigail. She was able to bring honor to Nabal. Yes. In spite of him. Didn't she go out and say, please don't? Yeah, she interceded on his behalf Uh and stopped David and his band of mercenaries who were like professional killers. Like these guys, they could kill just about anybody. And they were coming to put him down like a dirty old dog. Right. She saves Nabal's life. But then after his big drunken bash, his big party, and him acting the fool, and see, he was one of those ruthless, violent men who just, that was his whole thing, building wealth. But, you know, then it goes on here, and in the Amplified, it says, and a woman who hates righteousness is a throne of dishonor 
for a man. Well, people that have married people that hate righteousness, and they end up becoming just exactly that. A throne of dishonor. A throne of dishonor for those people. You know, I also want to say here, a gracious and good woman wins honor. If you're single, you win honor for the people, your family, the people that you're in covenant relationship with, the people that you work for that are close to you. You actually affect them and your good name and your graciousness brings such a fragrance that it can even make your job or the family or your covenant friends, you know, affect them and actually promote them because of you being gracious. Sometimes I think, you know, I like to to watch on TV, okay, here's the latest, greatest cream and (laughs) and coolest makeup. And, you know, if you put this on, you'll look like you're 12 years old, you know, or something. But, you know, that's fine. But the most important thing that I can do every single day is to rest and run into God's grace so I can put His graciousness on. I'm honorable. I know how to keep my mouth shut when I should keep it shut. I walk in the rightness of God. And that's a beauty that no, nothing can take away from me. Pam, you win honor for me all the time. Thank you, you are honey. completely such an example oh, of being you. a gracious and a good woman who wins honor. And there's so many times that I just see that God's used you to bring honor into my life, and I'm so thankful for that. Just a little side note there for, side note. for all of you. Verse 17. The merciful, kind, and generous man. Here's like a difference. The merciful kind and generous man benefits himself for his deeds return to bless him. But he who is cruel and callous to the wants of others brings on himself retribution. So look at the seeds there. The merciful, kind, and generous. So mercy is a seed. Kindness is a seed. Generosity is a seed. Yes, that's a great seed. That man benefits himself. Why? Because he's sowing for harvests of mercy, kindness, and generosity. Look, it says his deeds return to bless him. And then now look at the next guy, the cruel guy, the callous guy, the Nabal. Right. It says he's cruel and callous. Cruelty is a seed. Being callous and hard-hearted is a seed to the wants of others. And it says he brings on himself retribution. Basically, you could say this, he brings on himself a harvest. Right, that's right. Of callousness cruelty, right? Verse 18, the wicked man earns deceitful wages, but he who sows righteousness, moral and spiritual rectitude in every area and relation shall have a sure reward, permanent and satisfying. Is that not nice? Friends, don't ever buy into the lie of the enemy. The enemy needs and wants you to believe that what you sow, you will not reap. He wants you to believe that because he thinks he can mock God through you by disbelieving the law of reciprocity. Don't believe it. God is not mocked, and it's still true. You will have a sure reward, permanent and satisfying. So don't fail to be tireless and keep sowing good seed into good ground. Now, I feel really impressed as there's some people listening that you've sowed loyalty, faithfulness, graciousness, goodness, honor. You've kept things even private that you could have easily displayed and talked about. You've been an honorable person and you sowed seeds behind the scenes when there was nobody clapping for you, no one giving you a standing ovation, and you sowed it in what appeared to be private. But I say to you, I just want you to know that God sees every single seed that you've sowed of goodness, and He is a rewarder. Some of you are, are thinking about 
you love the Lord, you know the word is true, but right now you're struggling with what Stephen just said. Is this whole sowing and reaping thing really work? Because it seems like everybody that sows meanness and disloyalty and to other people, they just seem like they go to the top of the mountain and get the position and get the, you know, exaltation. And does this really work? Because I'm not really seeing it. I just want you to arrest yourself right now because you need to stand up, put your shoulders back and say, even out loud, I can imagine Joseph in the prison month after month when the Lord told him that he was going to affect nations. And here he is in the prison, wrongfully accused, totally 100% innocent. And yet he probably thought, Lord, like you showed me this, but I'm still in the prison. I'm sure there was times that everything came into him and he just wanted to think, hey, this whole sowing and reaping thing, does God really have good things for me? But I bet you he would just have to stand up sometime and almost scream out, I believe God. I believe you, God. I know you're true. So today, stand up. You're at a crossroads, some of you, and go down the right road. Say, I believe you, Lord. Stand up. Start thanking God that you know that what you sow, you will reap in goodness and uh, know that he's a rewarder. And so just stand on that That's today. good, Pam. You know, Psalm 37 says, to fret not because of evildoers. Neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, because they seem to prosper in their way. They seem to... Yeah. The psalmist had a problem with that. He's like, what's with the wicked that seem to prosper in their way? But the word says, fret not because of evildoers and because of those who seem to prosper in their way. And God says in Psalm 37, verse 2, for they will be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. But we're to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. So I love what you just brought up for our listeners. And I just want to right now pray with them in the name of Jesus. We call in the harvest on the good seeds that you've sown. In the name of Jesus, we come into agreement with you and we command that harvest to come into your life, the blessings to overtake you. And Father God, prepare the way for the harvest in their life. Prepare their storage places. Prepare their vats for the increase, for the good things, the harvest on the seed that you've given them to sow into good ground. In Jesus' precious name. now. Amen. Yeah. I remember one time that I was really starting to get grumbly because it just seemed like we had done so many things that I won't go into, but it just seemed like we'd been faithful, we'd been obedient, and it just, I wasn't seeing you know, the harvest, what I thought at that moment. And I remember feeling kind of, and you just stopped. You said to me, honey, I've seen you sow when no one's seen. And so right now I call forth the harvest and you just stopped and you said, harvest, come now. And I started crying because, well, that's what we want for you, your harvest to come. So you just throughout this day, harvest come now. And you know what? The Holy Spirit might even show you that there might be a couple things that you need to repent of. It's kind of like a a little wall or something that's keeping that harvest from coming to you. Might be an attitude, might be something else, but the Holy Spirit will be gracious to show you how to receive and where the harvest is. And again, Pam's so right on here. I mean, if maybe even your expectancy, if you've been sowing but not expecting anything, see, that's not really... Faith makes a full circle. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder. If you've been just believing that God is and that it's just your lot in life that you're supposed to just give, but you're, well, I, I'm not expecting anything. That's See, that's, that's anti, anti-God, anti-God right? anti-Bible. It sounds good on paper. It sounds very religious, but we're not into being religious. We're into being all about Jesus. Oh, yeah. And without faith, 
faith, it's impossible to please God. And the full formula of faith is to believe that God is and that he's the rewarder. And so you got to complete that circle. And so maybe in your heart, you've been for years sowing good seed, but you just haven't been aware of completing the circle. It's kind of like vacuuming your house without plugging it into the wall, right? right? The, The thing works a certain way. And so faith works by believing that God is and that he's the rewarder. You can't just sow for a bunch of tomatoes and then just say, well, you know, I just... That's my part. I just sowed and I just leave it and forget about it. No, no, you got to go back and you got to receive a harvest. But you look for the harvest from God, not from the person or the persons or the situation you sowed into. But you need to be aware of this too, that you get good harvest from good ground. And if you've been sowing for years on hard ground and into bad ground, and your harvest is always getting choked out by things in the world, then you need to find the right ground to be investing in. Your seed proves the ground. It does not improve Your seed does not improve the ground. It proves the ground. Right. So, you know, if you've been sowing for years and you have not been getting a harvest, sir, madam, friend, you're proving the ground right in front of you. That was a very difficult lesson for me to learn in life, that your seed proves the ground. So, you know, let me just leave you with that. And let's go on to verse 19. He who is steadfast in righteousness, uprightness, and in right standing with God attains to life. But he who pursues evil does it to his own death. So be steadfast in righteousness. In other words, be steadfast in keeping your focus on Jesus. That's right. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that we are made the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When God looks at me, when he looks at Pam, when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. So it says here, be steadfast in righteousness. So in other words, focus, 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 focus on Jesus. Make it all about Jesus. And it says in doing that, you attain to life. We grab a hold of it. Verse 20. They who are willfully contrary in heart are extremely disgusting and shamefully vile in the eyes of the Lord. Can you say a big ouch? (laughs) But such as are blameless and wholehearted in their ways are his delight. You know, I can just see him smiling real big. If there's anything we'd say, Lord, I want to make you smile. Father God, I want to make you smile. And sometimes I think we also need to realize this going back just because I'm a singer and and a worship leader and a songwriter, and it is so easy in our circles to be willing to sing a song of worship before people. Be willing to lead hundreds and thousands in a song of worship to the Lord, so to speak. But yet behind the scenes, being contrary, stubborn, arrogant in our heart, and to not really want to be reproved, not really caring about other people and what their needs. And, you know, we can lead thousands to the Lord, but if behind the scenes, our heart is willfully contrary to God's way of thinking and doing things, we're extremely disgusting and shameful in his eyes. Does he still love us? Yes. But if we are willfully contrary in our heart, if we continue to be dishonorable, then we don't make him smile. He loves us, but we're not making him smile. So I want to, behind the scenes, humble myself before him, always going forward and learning so that when I get up and lead a worship song, there's some weightiness to it that people can't put their finger on, but I'm actually making Father smile before I get on that platform and then also on that platform. 
For some reason, this scripture here, verse 20, makes me think of 2 Corinthians 9, 8, where it says that a cheerful and prompt to do it giver, God delights in. And in fact, in the Amplified, it says God is unwilling to do without that person. Doesn't that just make you think of God is delighting in the person that's wholehearted? Yeah, he's blameless smiling and, wholehearted. and clapping and yay. And you know, it makes me think too, those who are willfully contrary in heart. You know where your heart gets willfully contrary to God when you cease to be a giver. Yeah. And you know, and point, that shows honey. up in many ways. When you become bitter and full of unforgiveness, you're unwilling to yield and forgive. Remember the wicked steward, he was forgiven something like $50 million and then turned around and grabbed his fellow servant and threw him in prison for 50 bucks because the guy couldn't pay him back. Oh, it's so crazy, but that actually happens. A giving heart. That's what I love about 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It says that a cheerful giver, God is unwilling to do without. Wow. Cheerful and prompt to do it giver is the delight of God's heart because I think it really is the reflection of Father God's heart. God is love and love gives. Yeah. Love gives. So good. And it knows how to give the right seed into the right ground. Giving isn't always about money. Sometimes giving is just giving impression to somebody. I know some people who would rather give money than even just to give the gift of impression. They who are willfully contrary. A lot of times God will tell me, Stephen, I want you to give this person that. And it may be even just a compliment. It may be my impression. Oh my goodness, Sally, that was so yeah. good. That's right. You know, that may be what God wants me to give, but if my pride gets in the way, then it perverts what I'm giving to her. I may come up and say, you know, here, Sally, here's a, you know, here's a hundred dollars. You need to get a little something nicer to wear. You right, you were right. looking a little rough on stage there too. Right, you know right. what I mean? That's my way of being controlling now. Right, see? Right. We want to imitate our Father. The word yeah. says for us to be holy because He's holy, and it says for us to imitate God our Father. And God is love yeah. and He is a giver. That's and that's right. why He can't live without. Yeah. Yes. Givers. Yes. Verse 21. Assuredly, I pledge it, the wicked shall not go unpunished, but the multitude of the uncompromisingly righteous shall be delivered. I think, again, this is the Old Testament, but even all through the Old and the New Testament, we have to understand the tone of God is of love, of mercy, of kindness. The sowing and reaping, the law of gravity, if we jump out of a plane, unless we have a parachute, so the wicked shall not go unpunished. Really, the wicked punish themselves, but the multitude of the uncompromisingly righteous shall be delivered. Yeah, read Psalm 37 again. That just really unfolds this whole concept of the wicked not going unpunished. They may look today like they've gone unpunished, but it says that they will fade like the grass. They will wither. That's right. Like the green herb. Verse 22, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout. That's not something you see every day. I know. So is a fair woman who is without discretion. Pam, a beautiful woman who looks like she's got all that going on, who is without discretion, the Bible says is basically like taking a lovely gold ring and putting it in a pig's nose. I think I'm safe to say also a, a handsome man. It's the same thing. People that are without discretion, but I've, I've watched sometimes, I was in a, a restaurant one time in another state and I turned around and this whole group of women came in and you could tell they were just dripping with jewels. I mean, you could just, their clothes, their handbags, everything, extremely wealthy people you could tell as far as riches go, as far as currency, but loud and swearing and mean to the people waiting on them and just 
arrogant and talking bad against uh, this person and their husbands and their family. And yet you looked at them, if you just looked at them, they were beautiful. But there was an ugliness about them. Spiritual piggies with lipstick on them. It was just, they were being swinish. Well, they talk, about beauty, <laughs> they talk about beauty being only skin deep. And we all can think of examples where you may see somebody in the quietness, either a very handsome man or a very good looking woman, walk in a room or something. And then suddenly the contradiction of all contradictions, they open their mouth, their beauty or their good looks or their $1,500 suit. All of that just seems to evaporate because out of their mouth comes indiscretion. The world has a way through media and you see somebody who's wearing a $10,000 dress, but on the red carpet and dropping the F-bomb. Yeah. It's just ugly. On the other side of things, I've also seen people that I'm thinking, that person is gorgeous. They are just glowing Mm -hmm. because the kindness, they open their mouth and it's just, the words are weighty. It's so kind. They're so true. There's something about them. And you think, I guess if you analyze it in the world standards, it's not like they have the best clothes on or have this perfect look or perfect skin, but they're gorgeous because they're literally glowing and clothed with the goodness of God, the glory of God. Remember one time we were living in Nashville and we were on that path going Mm. for a walk early in the morning. I know what you're going to say. We're kind of doing our little prayer walk. And as we're walking along, it was quiet. Sun was coming up. A little bit of a mist, I remember. It was a popular path where a lot of people would run, but it was so early in the morning, nobody was really out yet. But then off in the distance, we could see somebody coming toward us, and she had long hair. And as she got closer, there was just this glow, this beauty about her. She was smiling. She had just this glow. And then suddenly, you and I realized she was missing both of her legs. I think it was right around her knees. Uh And she was running on those prostheses, those blades. Yeah. And I mean, we both just stopped. We were holding hands. We just stopped and we just kind of looked and it was like this angel on blades ran by us. I know. And we later found out, I can't remember who it was through, but this girl was a born again Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I think she's even a motivational speaker, but a born again believing girl full of Jesus living on the inside of her and the discretion, the beauty, the spirit of God flowed through her and she was beautiful. In the natural, she's a pretty girl, but there was something that was was beautiful that was from God, that was from heaven. And that to me was just such an example of that right there. Oh, so true. Being the very opposite of what we're reading in verse 22. Verse 23. The desire of the consistently righteous brings only good, but the expectation of the wicked brings wrath. When you're in the righteousness of God and the rightness of God in his thinking, you want to do good. But if you're wicked, your expectation, the things that you dream about, the things that you want to happen are not only harmful to you and your family, but to those around you. Oh, yeah. Isn't that what Psalm 37 says, that we're to delight ourselves in the Lord and He will give us the desires and the secret petitions of our heart. That's beautiful. Oh, that's beautiful. 24. There are those who generously scatter abroad. And yet they increase more. This is a sower, right? (laughs) That's right. That's a giver. But then there are those who withhold more than is fitting. Uh, This is somebody whose heart is closed up. Yeah. Or what is justly due. And what's it result in? It says, but it results only in in want. want. We've been on a theme today, and I mean, it's just button it down. Givers shall have. Non-givers shall always want. 25. The giving person shall be enriched, and he who waters shall himself 
be watered. Wow. So this is what I've said so about Jesus. Good. People talk about what's Jesus' political stance. Was Jesus a conservative or a liberal? Jesus is Jesus. He is the ultimate of liberality, and he's the ultimate of being fiscally conservative. Jesus, think about it. Jesus took close to 20,000 people out for lunch and fed them all. Yes, he did. And he didn't tax anybody for it. He didn't try to get the money from the government. He didn't try to get it from anyone else. He took all these people out and fed them to the full. But then at the end, he put all of his guys to work and they collected all the leftovers. And he kept track of it. Even in future chapters, he would say, now guys, remember how many men beside women and children were there at that one feeding? And there were like 5,000 men beside women and children. And he said, how many loaves did we use? Five mm-hmm. loaves. How mm-hmm. many fish? Two fish. And how many baskets did we pick up after that? Yeah, this is so good. Think about it. Jesus was keeping an accounting of all of that stuff. So it says here, the generous person, the liberal person shall be enriched and he who waters himself shall be watered. My friend, listen, as you water and as you generously give and as you are a blessing to others and not taking something that belongs to somebody else and giving it to somebody else, you know, not redistributing somebody else's resources, but taking what God has given you. And you may say, well, I don't have that much. Well, look at Jesus fed all those people with just five loaves and two fish. And you're like, but that's Jesus. But Jesus lives in you. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said greater things would you and I do until we take off the limits on our thinking and adjust our thinking from just common and popular thinking into supernatural Jesus thinking. We're not going to be able to do what he does, but we should be able to do great things with just a little bit. It's a matter of our heart. We need to be generous with our heart. That's right. Verse 26, the people curse him who holds back grain. So this is the person who is tight, the person who's got that ungiving heart, right? That wicked heart. When the public needs it, but a blessing from God and from people is upon the head of him who sells it. Because she or he is an honest business owner. Generosity again. That's what it is. Generosity. Verse 27, he who diligently seeks good seeks God's favor, but he who searches after evil it shall come upon him. It's the law of reciprocity. Yeah, you know, what you focus on is what comes to you. You know, as you put your focus on good, it says here, he who diligently seeks good. When you're focused on good, when you're focused on answers, when you're focused on giving and living, then it says you procure God's favor, but he who searches after evil, this person's seeking evil. He's fixated on evil, on taking, grasping, hurting, ripping off. It's hard to believe that there are actually people like this, but we see it in the news every day. People who just stay up at night trying to just, that's their whole thing is trying to cause pain or... They want people to fail. they want people to fail. They want their competition to fail. Verse 28, he who leans on, trusts in, and is confident in his riches... It kind of started out so good, right? I thought he was going to say, Proverbs 3, leaning on and trusting in the Lord. It says, he who leans on, trusts in, and is confident in his riches, in his stuff, shall fall. But the uncompromisingly righteous shall flourish like a green bow. And that's, again, uncompromisingly righteous. That's those of us who are leaning on trusting in the Lord. In the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your might and all your heart and all your mind, will, and emotions. Trust in the Lord. You're going to flourish like a green bow. 29. He who troubles his own house shall inherit the wind, and the foolish shall be a servant to the wise of heart. 
Boy, I tell you, we've got a lot of scriptures that are really the law of reciprocity, right? You trouble your own house, you inherit the wind. You can't control the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, not without faith anyway, right? Verse 30, the fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise captures human lives. For God, as a fisher of men, he gathers and receives them for eternity. So my friend, as you're wise, you benefit yourself. We learned even in previous chapters that says the wise benefit themselves and the scorners end up, that's what we read in the previous chapter, right? The scorner ends up indulging in the fruit of their own ways and receiving the outcome of their own hurt. But here we got again, when you're wise, you benefit yourself, but being wise, you end up also gathering people. You end up influencing people as a fisher of men. Isn't that what Jesus called us? He said to Peter, follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men, but it's going to require wisdom. That's right. Peter needed a download of wisdom to truly cross that line from before Jesus died on the cross. He was still stuck in his old ways and his old foolishness. But when he got filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom, man, he preached a sermon and thousands of people people came to Jesus. He truly became a fisher of men. We read 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He was downloading the wisdom of yeah. God. You know, even Jesus, before he was a child and he didn't really start his ministry till he was 30 years old, he was the son of God. When he was eight and nine years old, he would be found in the temple talking and asking questions of the teachers and the lawyers and the ministers and people of wisdom, asking questions, yeah. learning. Right. And I think so many times people, even in certain circles, we just hear so much of just be driven, just be driven for the Lord, and that's all that matters. Well, where do you find that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. Constantly over and over, the Lord's will is that we bring people to the cross and say, this is all we want to bring you to Jesus. But you always need to posture yourself, how, Lord, can I build a bridge to that person? How do I talk to this person? What do you want me to say and not say? Just going out and being driven and Having a passion is not good enough. It has to be married with the wisdom, the understanding, and the rhema word of God in every situation. It must be. We must be wise for ourselves. We must be wise to inherit and receive the good word of God, the good will of God, and then we ourselves become part of the living temple of the Holy Spirit, and God abides and lives in us, and then He works through us. Ultimately, Jesus is the one who builds His church. Yes, He He's the expert at building the true church. He's the one who builds a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. And so many times we're trying to do something, trying to do a work that Jesus has already done. So we need to submit to wisdom. But when we are wise, when we have his wisdom and we abide in the truth and his truth abides in us, then we become conduits of that life for other people. Otherwise, we're writing checks that we just can't cash. (laughs) Right, right. Verse 31. Behold the uncompromisingly righteous shall be recompensed on earth. How much more the wicked and the sinner. My mom used to always quote a scripture that when you've done things according to the word of God and be obedient, you will receive in this life and the life to come. She would always claim that because, you know, they traveled around the world. They've been ministers for so many years in some ways were obedient and faithful. And so she would claim that. And this is so true. Behold, the uncompromisingly righteous shall be recompensed on earth, not just in heaven. Of course, we're going to receive amazing things in heaven, but also we will receive on this earth, we will reap what we sow, how much more the wicked 
and the sinner will be recompensed on earth and in the life to come. Yeah, what you're referring to that your mom used to always preach to you was Mark 10. In Mark chapter 10, it was starting in verse 29. Jesus tells them, he says, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the gospel will fail to receive, listen to this, Pam, a hundredfold in the present age here on earth, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecutions. Because the thing is, anytime you prosper, there's always persecutions to go with prosperity. That's right. Along with persecutions. And to receive eternal life, though, in the age to come. Oh, yeah. Both. It's a hand-holding effect. I think sometimes we only hear we're going to be recompensed in heaven, which is so true. But the word also, time and time again, keeps unfolding for us. There is a reaping here on earth, and we should walk in that reaping so that we can turn it around and be like a wheel, continually being a blessing to others. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Isn't that exciting? Father, we thank you right now for your word. Your word is quick powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow. Father, we're thankful for the word. It's a divider. It divides the wrong from the right, the sin and the sickness from the righteousness and the health. Father, we thank you for your word that even now as we meditate on it, Lord, it divides the plans that the enemy has for us from your divine destiny. And Father, as we institute and as we appropriate your word in our life, by just meditating on it, by focusing on it, we divide like chaff the enemy's plans for us, his destructive pits and traps that he's dug for us. We divide them out of our future, the potholes that he's trying to somehow get on the path of the righteous, it's impossible because we choose your way. By choosing your word, we choose your way, we choose your will, and we choose the abundant life that you have for us. Father, we're confident that we can say we are the righteousness of, of God. God. Why? Because of Christ Jesus. Yes, thank you. Because of the perfect work Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Pam and I and our friends, Lord, we are the righteousness of God because we put confidence in Jesus' perfect work. We We trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways, we acknowledge you, Father. And we thank you that we get to be inheritors of the blessing. Father, that we get to be harvesters of the good seed that you've given us to sow into good ground right now in Jesus' name. Father God, we dedicate our hearts and our mouths to discretion. In asking for more wisdom, we ask for more counselors. Father, even this word that our friends are listening to, God, as they're downloading this from heaven, as they're getting this word in their heart, may faith come. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, our faith in you, Lord, and in your truth, Father God, we thank you for it. Lord, bless their finances, bless their home, bless their family, in their physical body, Lord, we command their body to line up with Holy Spirit's designs right now at a cellular level, be whole with the very spirit of God's blueprints yes. for your body. I command your soul to line up yes. in the name of Jesus right now and be completely healed and whole and delivered from all infirmity, from the spirit of infirmity, from every judicial contract that you've made with darkness. I command you to be completely healed in the court of God's law right now by the name of Jesus And by the stripes that Jesus had on his back, we proclaim healing over you to the glory of the living God. Amen. Amen. 
God bless you. So good spending time with you and just being in God's Word. Go to stephenandpam.com. I know that we've always got little triggers and treasures for you there, things that can be a blessing into your life. And make sure you share this. Tell some of your friends. Get word around that Jesus is alive and we can get in God's Word and we can reign as kings in life by Jesus Christ. You be that voice just like we are and keep sharing Jesus with your friends, sharing the Word of God. Hey, if you get a chance, you know, sit in a coffee shop, maybe go through a proverb with a friend, share earbuds and just sit there and just kind of maybe pull out a pen and paper or your iPad or your phone and just kind of take some notes. And at the end of a proverb reading, maybe just sit and exchange ideas. This is how you do it. You just break the word of God together and just ingest it and see what the Holy Spirit says through you. But connect with some friends over the word of God, over the wisdom of God, and watch your life transform in front of you. We love you. We bless you. And never forget that you you are are born born to to win. Thanks for listening to Stephen and Pam Marshall. To receive more information or more teaching, go to www.stephenandpam.com. Stephen and Pam Ministries is a 501c3 charitable organization and your gift helps us to take this message to 1,000 communities worldwide.